Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast, recording in the middle of the night with two of the three members of the podcast sick. So this will be the best episode ever, I assure you. This might not be the best episode. Um, in any event, Miles, you're, you're on death's door, but you're here. Yeah, I'm at like 20% right now, but I just want to say that I also think this will be the best episode ever. <laughs> for for comparison's sake, what do you, percentage are you usually at? 40. All right, so there we go. So I'm at, uh, I'm at 50% of my usual. That's true. Steve, what kind of malware are you dealing with? I, I don't know. It's, uh, but it's not making my day any better. Mm, it's tro- it must be a Trojan horse. Yeah. <laughs> That are magnum. There we go. Uh, yeah, cue the Trojan Man music. There aren't condom commercials anymore, are there? There was a hot moment where they were they were advertising. Is that that just? Yeah, they're still in use. Like, I don't think does I don't think demand has gone down. Does anyone watch commercials anymore? Is the question. That's probably. I mean, right on TV. Yeah, I think I think that might be more about it. I'm sure maybe there's like some YouTube ad coming on between your. Uh, or your Twitch videos or something. I don't know. I sound very old right now. The YouTube, the ad that comes yeah, on as you're, you're, you're desperately waiting for the skip button to show up. There you go. Exactly. Uh, on tap for today, we're going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about Top Gun. Since I saw that, I believe, right after the last episode. Um, I have finally seen everything everywhere all at once. We'll, we'll double back to talk about that. Maybe tie it into a little bit of the other popular multiverse film out there. And uh, we have some questions. So let's... Uh, Let's do the questions. So, first up, Ryan McDermott says, he's got a Filmaholic face-off for us. Stephen King films. Can't imagine why we're talking about that. Unfortunately, we'll have to momentarily. Um, starting off with Stand By Me or Misery, which kind of oh, rhymes. That's a good one. Damn it. Yeah, stars, stars off tough. Yeah. Um, Stand By Me is good, but Misery is more my kind of movie, and the performances in it are just so great, so I'm going to go Misery. All right, Steve. It is that is a very tough one. I watched both recently, and I think they both stand up um, quite well or hold up quite well. Um, you know, I think Misery might hold up better, but I love Stand by Me. I'm going Stand by Me. Mm, I think I might go Misery, but it is close. They're both movies. I think I have to revisit soon. They're, they're definitely both worth a revisit. There's there's so much you know to each, and I think Stand by Me has that coming of age that I I shared it with my oldest daughter, and um, mm. which and she really enjoyed it because uh, you didn't share misery with her. Not yet, no. I wouldn't share it with my youngest yet, and she thought that was kind of cool, and it had a lot of the yeah. things that when you know when I was her age, that when I saw it the first time. I was like, oh, I'm getting to see something, you know, a little more yeah. mature. Um, and, yeah, and, yeah. But, it, but it has people sort of my age in it. Yeah, yeah. And this, and, this, and it's not, a, you know, your happy, typical coming-of-age story, which is great. You know, when it comes to the end, it, it's it's incredibly sad. So, um, spoiler yeah. alert. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I stand by it. I stand by, stand by me. You, st- you stand, stand by me. I do. I think I said that right. Um, next up, 
Carrie or Pet Cemetery. Very specifically noting the 1989 version. Well, as you would. Which is funny because he didn't note that for Carrie, but we're also I, I was gonna say. not doing the... But Kimberly there's Pierce. only one version of Carrie that is worth talking about. Which is true, which makes it even sadder because that one was made by Kimberly Pierce. And I really like her. But, you know, well, it happened. Not, not the best fit for the material, I think. Um... Yeah, I haven't seen Pet Cemetery since I was quite young. I remember very little of it. Carrie, mm-hmm. I saw for the first time much more recently, I think for one of my 31 Days of Halloween articles. Uh, and it's good. I think it's, uh, you know, Sissy Spacek's great. Uh, Brian De Palma's directing really elevates it. So I'm going to go Carrie. All right. Steve? Yeah, I never thought Pet Cemetery was all that good. Um, There's some creepy moments, but overall... The concept was better than the execution. I think Carrie still uh, has a certain level of just creepiness to it. And the idea, and, and Spacek is great, and, and De Palma's work is great. So, yeah, let's go Carrie. Yeah, I think it's got to be Carrie. Um, Pet Cemetery is fine. The new one's not great. The new Carrie's not great. The old Carrie's pretty solid. So, it's not, not the like top tier stuff, but. It works. Um, I'm very curious how this next one goes. Christine or The Running Man? Uh, the Running Man, every day. It's it's so... It's exactly that era of Arnold movie where it's just as campy as it could be and the weird sci-fi stuff and he's got all his other muscly, sweaty buddies in it. Um, <sighs> Christine is fine. It is what it is. I think The Batman did in like 30 seconds a better version of the entirety of Christine. Yeah. All right. Steve, what if I give you per, uh, maximum overdrive as well? Um, I'm sure that changes nothing. <laughs> yeah. It, it shouldn't. Who is this? Michael Ironsides in uh, in Running Man? He's in uh, Total Recall. Total Recall. That's what But I mean. he's exactly the type of person who would be in the <laughs> Running Man. You're right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, J- Jesse Ventura is in um, uh, Running Man, who is also with him in Predator. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go Running Man. I I've, have not seen either in, in quite a long time, but yeah. Running Man was a lot of fun. Yeah. Running Man Running Man, solid. Christine, I think, has its moments, but I I mean, if I'm going to watch that movie, I'd kind of prefer Cujo, even though it's kind of the same movie. Um, but neither are, are thrilling to me. Um, so the reason he specified 89's Pet Cemetery is coming up shortly. But first, oh, no. Dr. Sleep or It? Are we talking uh, It miniseries or uh, the modern one? It film. The film? The first one um, or both combined? Eh, the first one. Okay. For reasons you might understand momentarily. Oh, uh-huh. he's got the second one later probably. Uh, so it's okay. It and what else? It or Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep. I like Dr. Sleep quite a bit. I mean, it's, you know, it's trying to live up to the legacy of the shining which is near impossible um but it's it's a very well made version of what it is and the acting is good in it and it's got some creepy moments um i didn't love it when i saw it the first time i did go back and revisit it in time for the sequel and i did warm to it a fair bit i just the whole you know kids you know going around on bikes stranger things amblin aesthetic has never been my jam like in anything yeah um, That's fair. But I do think the, you know, 
Bill Skarsgård's very effective, and, uh, you know, when it's good, it's good. Um, so for two movies I like but don't love, I think I'll go with Dr. Sleep, because I think it feels a bit more ambitious. And okay. Mike and Mike Flanagan can direct the fuck out of a horror movie. True. Steve? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was very creepy, which is where it needs to be, but it's only half a film, um, or half a story. So, and Dr. Sleep, I actually, I enjoy that. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I really, I really had a good time with that. I think the weakest parts of that were when they tried to connect it too much to The Shining. Um, I agree. I agree. But, you know, everything else worked and it, it, that was still okay, but everything else worked really well. I was, uh, I was really uh, locked in and wanted to see where it was going and, and how it was all going to turn out. And, um and even the you know the, the the shining elements didn't ruin it, so I'm going to go with Doctor Sleep. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a sweep. I, I I don't remember much of Doctor Sleep. If we're being honest, I remember um, what's your name, Rose the Hat, was pretty. Uh, oh, uh, Rebecca Ferguson. Creepy. She's yeah. the highlight of the yeah. movie. Yeah, she's excellent. Totally. Um, and I do remember the like the weird like fan service is the wrong word, but the moments that were tying in feeling like. Uh, this is this is like I get it and it's cool, but it's less interesting. Mm-hmm. And it, I just I didn't get the fuss over. I thought it was fine. I thought it was like punishingly long for what it was, and just kind of was fine. So it's going to be a, a sweep for Doctor Sleep, which uh, leads us into It Chapter Two or Pet Cemetery Twenty Nineteen. Um, I didn't see Pet Cemetery Twenty Nineteen because it didn't look good but um i did see it chapter two and actually and maybe this isn't a popular opinion i don't know but i like chapter two significantly more than chapter one oh, wow. um which is f- funny because in the original miniseries you know the it's generally you know the kid stuff is more interesting than the adult stuff but for some reason the adult stuff in the new one just really worked for me i think because of the cast like james mcavoy and jessica chastain bill Hader, i think gives like an oscar worthy performance in that film like he's genuinely amazing in it um i i don't know chapter two really worked for me in ways that the first one didn't quite so that's my pick all right steve well i've seen neither um and, oh, well, there you go. and i really wanted to see i i loved it it was my favorite book as a kid, you know, as a in high school. Um, mm. I, I I just you know I had a great time reading it, and I saw the first half, and then I heard just terrible things about the second, and it just kind of slipped off my radar. Uh, Pet Cemetery, I I had no interest, and and I didn't like I said I didn't really love the first one, but I, and I had no interest in yeah. seeing a remake unless someone was saying it was amazing, so. It is. Uh, it is not amazing. Pet Cemetery 2019 is thoroughly forgettable. Um, that being said, uh, it chapter two um, I thought sucked, so I do have to go Pet Cemetery. Um, everything that I kind of thought was meh to find about chapter one was worse this time. I just felt like it was so long, and it was so telegraphed what it was doing that it was this weird just pattern of, okay, these characters are separate, so we're going to spend time with this character, and they're going to get scared, and they're going to narrowly escape something that I guess isn't deadly, but could be, and then we're going to go to the next character, and the exact same thing's going to happen, and that's what we're doing for about two and a half hours, and it's well acted. I I, I can't deny that. 
See, but that's I just feel what, like the that's what so I felt them. the first movie was. The first movie was just yeah. like an endless parade of scenes of a character walks into a room and Pennywise shows up as something kind of banal but creepy and then it chases them for a bit and then they leave and nothing happens and that's like every scene in that movie whereas the second one it's got a lot of that but a i feel like the stuff is a bit more inventive and b i feel like Mm -hmm. the sort of adult psychological aspects of it are more interesting than just kids being generically scared you know what's really odd and it might just be that i'm overly tired but the way you're both describing it is giving me flashbacks to the book and now I, now I really want and, and Miles uh, Miles taken being better than the first half, which I enjoyed the first half of it. Um, now now I want to go see it again. I'm gonna I'm probably gonna go watch. I mean, it's on. I'll watch them both. I'm sure, it's on HBO Max. Miles, did you read the book? Um, I think I started it but didn't finish it. I did read a lot of Stephen King when I was in high school, and that was yeah, one that here. I think yeah. because it was so long, and I think also because as with the structure and all the adaptations, it is very repetitive. So I think I probably didn't get through it all. Yeah. Hmm. Um, fair enough. The green mile or the mist? Um, I hate the mist. It's oh. like, it's Ooh. like held up as like this iconic horror movie. And I know so many people love it. That's a movie where just, I think all the performances in it are bad, even though a lot of the actors are good in other things. The CGI is like, passable to atrocious and none of the creatures are scary i think the twist is like kind of a big like dumb fuck you cop out that and obviously it probably plays better if you're engaged in the movie up to that point but after kind of like being kind of tediously sitting through it at that point it was just like oh whatever uh the green mile is a great movie the green mile has some great performances it's not very stephen kingy but it's uh, a very good version of what it is so green mile all the way all right, Steve. Yeah, the Green Mile. I mean, I read those books as well, and I was, I enjoyed it, but I, I didn't love it. Same with the film. You know, it was true to the, it was true enough to the books to to deliver the same reaction. Um, the Mist, I was pleasantly surprised by, and um, mm-hmm. I was engaged right to the end, and I enjoyed the ending. So, whoops, and so I'll go with the Mist. All right, um, I'm gonna go to the Green Mile. I think they're both good. I think The Mist is, honestly, I think the better way to watch The Mist, and Miles, you'll never bother, but they have the the black and white version. Oh, yeah. That won't change fucking anything for me. <laughs> I So I liked it better because I, I thought the like CGI of it all fit a little better. It just felt more of a time. Yeah. And if taking you can, the color away doesn't improve the acting. No, 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 no. But I, I think it played more like a... Like a grungy '80s movie to me, than uh, whatever year that was when that it was grungy. very hyped up, and I was like, "This is solid." '90s movie. Um, Green Mile's good, but uh, I, I Green Mile pales in comparison to the other Stephen King, not Stephen Kingy movie that we're about to talk about for me, which is this is kind of the ultimate "Where do you fall on his movies?" question because we're down to the Shawshank Redemption or The Shining. Well, that's the thing. Isn't this that's also Frank, uh, oh, is it Darabont? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Frank, yep. Frank Darabont made The Green Mile. He made The Mist. He made The Shawshank Oh, he Redemption. did The Mist as well. I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, the funny thing is... You, with would, the you mist, would think it would have been better. The Mist yeah. was... I read that as well. The Mist was a part of... Was it Four Seasons? It was part of a, a, one of his... Four Seasons was in Shawshank. I don't think... No, no, it wasn't Four I think Seasons. Four Seasons had... 
Well, for, uh, different seasons different is what it was called. Yeah. That one had uh, that one had Rita Hayworth or Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, and I think it might have had Stand by Me in it also. Yeah, and Apt Pupil and and uh, and then something else that didn't get made. Yeah. Well, so that whatever it was, I read that as it's kind of lesser Stephen King, and I went into the movie, and I was happy. Like I said, I was surprised that I enjoyed it as much. If we're going in with high expectations, I, I haven't watched it since. So, but I I'm. I'm not saying Miles is wrong, but my take on it—what it, it gave me what I wanted when I when I saw it. So, no, yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, Miles, Shawshank or Shining? Um, these are, I think, Ryan. Is it Ryan who did this one again? Yep. Yeah. Well, Ryan's yep. killing it with the pairings because. Mm-hmm. These are probably two of the best adaptations of his work, regardless of, you know, where they fall on the kinginess scale. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Shawshank Redemption is an amazing film. It's one of the best films of the year it came out and of the 90s in general. Um, you know, I'm, I haven't seen it in a while, but I have to imagine it. the things that are good about it probably still hold up. Um, yeah. The Shining, though, I mean... I always have conflicted feelings because I do not approve of the way it was made um, yes. and the psychological torture it inflicted on one of the actors that she never quite was able to recover from, which is tragic. Um, but that said, it is one of my favorite horror movies because it's so damn creepy and effective. So mm. it is tight, but I am going to go with The Shining. All right, Steve. The funny thing with The Shining is it's not very true to the novel at all. Um, oh, not even no. a little bit. But I, no. I, I, that that doesn't hurt it for me at all. Okay. Yeah, I'm just saying it's funny. They made a remake of it or they remade it or not remade well, it. They King made himself a version did of it, it, right? Yeah, a miniseries. There's a, there was like an ABC version. Yes. There was a bunch of versions. That Was that the one with Stephen Weber? Yeah, no. It was like in the 90s or something, right? The one that King did. Yeah. It was like a miniseries, I want to say. It was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. I've seen <laughs> so, clips from it. It looks like the worst thing anyone's ever done. <laughs> so the the shining this this is the 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 ultimate version of it no matter how true it is to the book. Um geez, that's tough. That's a tough one. The two you know this is again this is the the apples and oranges type. You you don't go in for the same reasons. Um we think of the 97 uh television series. I would I would know the I actor would if I saw so. him. I don't know Unless the name. King, King wrote it. Mick Garris directed it. Yeah, Stephen Weber was Jack Torrance. Rebecca De Mornay was Wendy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Melvin Van Pe- Peebles was uh, Dick Harwin. Yeah. Um, overwhelming praise when it debuted in '97. By the way. Yeah, and no one's seen I, it I since. Don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah. So the fair enough. I'm gonna go with The Shining. Uh, Shawshank is amazing. I love it. It may rank higher in my on my favorite films list, but The Shining scared the shit out of me as a kid, and it still holds up. Uh, it's a it's a film that you can watch, and you know what is it? Forty years old at this point, and yes, it's uh, it's it's intense, and there's just just so much so much done right, and it's so much uh, it's it's iconic. You know, so much of the imagery and uh, what's his name? Duvall's performance, uh, Nicholson's performance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just awesome. So I'm going with The Shining. Well, something well, that's I mean, interesting the, about The Shining ahead. is that um, 
It's one of the rare movies, for me at least, where it's actually scarier the more times I watch it because you pick up on all the little things that are happening in the frame. And, like, there's so many subtle sort of psychological oh. things that ramp up the tension and sort of it, – it's not like a roller coaster at all. It's like, you know, a very slow burn that has a few, you know, spurts of activity. But, like, you know, at first you're taking it all in, but then you really drink in the atmosphere. There's just a lot to gain from repeat viewings on that one. Yeah, and, and the True. cinematography too re- works really well, and and some of the you know the effects are obviously pra- uh, the practical effects that were used for a lot of it, and I mean for all of it, and that's one of the classic things, and I think Carrie as well, like just the instead of going CGI and making things bigger and more, I don't know, I don't know what the word is I want to use, but just bigger. Um, it's it's the simplicity of it that really works, uh, that makes it creepy, that makes it feel like something that you could experience. And, yeah, I, I agree with my, what Miles is saying. I, I've gone back and I've watched it, you know, for several decades now. And uh, and it's still kind of, kind of messes with you. So, yeah, The Shining. Fair. Um, the Shining is great. Um, that being said, one of these two films is my favorite film of all time. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was that was not going to happen. Um, to what Miles said earlier, though, I think there is something to that. Um, you're well within your rights to have an issue with how it was made, and to the degree that that affects your enjoyment or praise of it, that's totally fair. Um, I think that's a lot more um, healthy of a discourse, you know, at least acknowledging if it if it's a bothersome thing, and then you know treat the film as the film if you can. If you can't, that's fine too. Um, I don't like the reverse, and this is a thing that I did not know existed until I think yesterday. But um, somebody, I guess, on Twitter was was complaining about Last Night in Soho, and and I didn't like the movie, so that's fine. But their reason for complaining about it was they felt it should have been made by like a pervert or a sex criminal. Oh, what? in the same way that like Polan- like Polanski movies, or um, I forget who the other example. Oh, um. Um, fucking who did um, Last Tango in Paris? Uh, Bertolucci, is that it? Yeah, yeah, like, 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 basically, you know, these sort of like dark paranoid thrillers where women are, are treated poorly kind of need to be made by people who treat women poorly. What? And uh, that's yeah, that's it's like up. easily the worst take in the world. Um, yeah, uh, call the FBI and, and uh, you know hook them up with a, a certain Twitter yeah. handle. And I mean, the the shocking part is like there are people who somehow believe that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can you can like or not like how someone makes a film. But, you know, I think at the same time, the film is the film and and you should have some degree of removal. That doesn't mean like you can not, you know, deal with it. Because, you know, if you never want to watch a, a Polanski movie and he still makes them, you're totally within your rights. If a Woody Allen movie is problematic to you now, you're within your rights. But if you watch it, I do feel like at that point you should engage with the film as the film. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with mentioning. thing is, so you know, like, like not- Shelley Duvall was abused while making that movie. That's totally accurate. Like, that's what happened. Not everyone. Like, I didn't know that part of The Shining's history. But the I mean, no one did for a while. But that, that's the thing, is, is you, when you watch a film, and I'm not saying that you should ignore history, or, or, but what you don't go in always knowing. So 
your reaction yeah. to it is your reaction to it. Now, you know, the next time you watch it or if you, you once you learn the history behind it or the stories behind it, that may affect it. But that's the thing. It's like, you know, you can't be. I, I don't think it's fair to say, oh, this is a terrible film. No, this film was ruined by the actions of a bad person. Not this is a bad film. Yeah. You know, I think that's the, the oh, fair yeah, way that's, to that's it. a. Well, because like one yep. thing that like I've, I've brought this up on uh, the podcast before, but like American Beauty used to be like in my top three films of all time. Like it's one that yeah. I went back to regularly and it gave me a lot of like, you know, joy and enthusiasm. And then the Kevin Spacey shit went down and then suddenly it's like that colors, you know, I look back at it now and like now that colors, you know. Oh, yeah. his performance and that sort of have you watched that, it since then no and i never will but and that's the point mm. is like i don't think i would be able to because suddenly you know a plot point that like is gross but is played as kind of benign in the movie suddenly becomes like insufferably you know horrifying whereas yeah. i can probably watch a polanski film like i rewatched uh, the ghost rider not long ago because i was doing my pierce brosnan list and it's yeah. you know i can still I can be removed from it and like appreciate the filmmaking while still being aware that the person who made this did sex crimes and is rightfully, you know, not allowed in the U S for it. So it's just one of those things where it's like, there's no one way to watch a movie. There's no one Mm -hmm. way to engage with the problematic aspects of it. And sometimes, you know, if you watch a movie twice, you know, once with that knowledge, once without that knowledge or vice versa, however it happens, I think that's, you know, a healthy way to do it. Yeah. There are occasionally wrong ways to engage, like uh, this person, Josh Lewis, on Letterboxd, who um, says, uh, the movie feels like it's a little boy playing dress-up Polanski Argento, and I'm sorry if this is insensitive, but those movies had a certain kind of unsettlingly raw, dirty power to them when made by the legitimate perverts of their era. Yeah. That's that's a bad take. Yeah. Well, yeah, because um, I, 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 yeah, back to the the take. I do think it's like, genuinely fucked up to suggest that like a movie can only be like creepy or disturbing if creepy and disturbing things happened on the set. That's yeah, like because a, a talented filmmaker can make the creepiest film you want. Like by all accounts, David Cronenberg is a very nice and pleasant man, but he's able to depict yeah. like horrendous and graphic and disgusting things, which. We're about to uh, find out more about what crimes of the future. Oh, I can't um, the other person said, uh, repulsion is great because Polanski is a pervert. Sorry, I don't make the rules about art because apparently that's a rule about art. Well, um, well, me, and before I get even Let me say one thing mad. real quick is if yes, that's what it requires <laughs> for us to make that kind of art, then guess what? We don't need that kind of art. So let's... Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we don't deserve okay. it either. Like it's, you know, no f- one film will ever exist that is worth like, you know, hurting someone or traumatizing yeah, someone exactly. or, you know, creating a miserable working environment. I mean, this is the problem I have with people like Jared Leto who like do method acting to the point where you can't make Morbius without like going to the bathroom in a wheelchair. Like, fuck you. Totally. That's a workplace. Like get your shit together. Yeah. yeah. Literally. I don't remember who I was interviewing recently who was talking about that. And like, you know, I think it might've been Miles Teller even who was like, yeah, you know, there's something for method, but like, come on. And I think there's something there when you're just like, guys, come on um you know if you if you need to do that to get into the mindset of the character you are the wrong actor do that before to be you get that there character. also if you or do it before you get there yeah exactly yeah, like there's <laughs> a million things you can else. do 
Exactly. It's it's this, oh, my art and my craft is so important that we have to hold up, you know, the grips and the sound people and all the people who, who are just there to work and do a job. Like, not that art should be, you know, so as economical as that, but you know what I mean? Like, it's not, mm-hmm. yeah. you're wasting everybody's time and you're being an asshole. And it's not, and in his case, at least, it's clearly not improving the performance. So what are we doing mm-hmm. here? Uh, this is all this to say Miles is not making a snuff film. So don't look for it on shelves next month. No, it'll take, yeah, it'll take at least happen. two or three months. Yeah. Exactly. Distribution I mean, listen, takes a while. You, you, yeah. You know, yeah, and it's, like, it's caught up with like the paperwork. It's a whole thing. <laughs> and it's a union shoot, which is rare on these kinds of things. <laughs> Let's talk about Firestarter briefly, because that's all it deserves. Uh, it's terrible and it's terrible because it's not even that terrible. It just is soulless and has no reason to exist. And, Stephen King has bad luck with these things. I don't know why. There's, you know, you would you would think like a, a movie that has some name recognition and, and decent goodwill, but is not particularly well known beyond the people who really like it. Like that's that's the right movie you could remake and and improve on, and they improve on nothing. Let me tell you, it was just a miserable experience to sit through. I, I think with Stephen King in general you. is. A lot of it is the picture you paint in your head. And when someone else paints that yes. picture for you, you go, eh. You know, it was scarier. It, you know, you create, you know what scares you. So you're creating that in your in your own, you know, imagination. And when someone else tries to implement their own fears, and that could be anything, uh, and and mm-hmm. and as you've seen for decades, he's had terrible yeah. films come out of good to great books. So, yeah. Well, let's let's uh, wash the bad taste of uh, Firestarter out of our mouth with Cave Lee Two Hundred Eight's question, which is: These directors were given a Stephen King adaptation. Which novel would you like them to tackle? Could be ones that have been done before, or ones that haven't been done. So you could you could do a Salem's Lot or Christine, or you could do an Insomnia, The Long Walk, whatever you want. So he's got a, a, a he, she, carefully. I'm, I'm not sure, so I don't want to insult. Um, there is a list for us. So uh, Scott Cooper. What do we think would be a Scott Cooper one? What would be vaguely anonymous but mostly proficiently made? Hold on. Let me pull up. Um, These are Stephen King? Wait, wait, hold on. Who, who? Yeah. So, okay. So here, here's what I'll do. I'm wait a second. So guys... by chance, carefully is it, and, uh, and Ryan both yeah. were doing Stephen King? kind of fun yes well because uh, firestar um, came out i'm guessing that yeah probably yeah, um so so in the in the interest of uh economy of time since everyone's you guys are sick and i'm tired um i'm gonna list the directors that Kayfley gave us and let's select a few okay okay so like, i got nothing for scott cooper his films are so exactly anonymous. i was like there's gonna be some that i think none none spring to mind and if we had more time we could you know force feed it but here's the list so if you want to take down the list we'll start assigning things so, um, how about this, Miles? Write down the the directors that were that I'm going to read. Uh, Steve, have up the Stephen King list if you can, and let's uh, let's try to match as many as we can before we run out of steam. So we got Scott Cooper, Rebecca Hall, M Night Shyamalan, David Lowry, James Wan, Darren Aronofsky. Oh, slow down. Yeah, yeah. All right, let me know when you're there. I have one for Ready, it. I have one already. All right. I, I got as far as Shyamalan and David Lowry and what was else? 
Uh, James Wan and Aronofsky are the next two. Okay. Ooh, I'd like to see a James Wan something. Yeah, yeah. Um, after Aronofsky, it's Jennifer Kent. Who's who? Then oh, the Babadook. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Then Nia DaCosta. Oh, hold on. Then uh, Denny Villeneuve. Jordan Peele. Ari Aster. My God. Robert Eggers. Not a homework here. Well, I'm going to start by saying uh, Rebecca Hall. Hmm. For Carrie. Ooh, I'd like to see that. Yeah. I'm going to throw out one that maybe you guys won't think makes sense, but I'm into. I'm going to say Darren Aronofsky, but I'm going to say The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. I, never read I don't that. know that one. I know it. I don't. That's um. It's it's an interesting one because it's kind of got a little bit of a bless you, a little bit of a, a a supernatural psychological horror to it, but it's also kind of a character study. I could. It feels like a like a Sean Durkin movie, maybe like a Martha Marcy May Marlene, um, and I think Aronofsky could do that. I believe Lynn Ramsey was going to make it at one point. Oh, okay. That would have been good. And I think it fell through. Give us because it's basically a. What's up? Give us another name after you're done, and then we'll. Um, another name to do for the same film or for a different? No, film? different director. That he had uh, different list. director for the same film or different film is what I'm saying. No, different film. Just in general. Yeah, just in general. Like oh, different film. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in so some of these are just not great fits. You know, like our, like uh, like a Robert Eggers, I don't think is ever going to do it. But I would say, if you wanted to take a, because like we were saying, like Scott Cooper's never going to have one. But I would say maybe Ari Aster could do, could maybe give like a higher art feel to a lower art thing. Like what was his thing? Sell or cellular? Uh, yeah, or yeah. Cell, right? Was his sort of zombie movie? Uh, yeah, because yeah. like there's no reason to make they, that. <laughs> well, they made it once and it wasn't good. Exactly, and it unfortunately wasted um, a, a decent cast because it was it was Cusack and um, Sam Jackson and, right? um, and Sam Jackson, and like the director's not awful. I think it was um, uh, what's his name? Is it Todd? Isn't Phillips? Is it Todd Williams? No, not Todd Phillips. Not it was Phillips. it was the guy who made the door in the floor, and then he made one of the paranormal activities. Yeah. Hmm. Like just a guy who like you you thought had more talent. I mean, and I'll I mean, say this: uh, if, we're, if we're talking Ari Aster, not that there's any reason they should make a new version of The Shining, but if they did, yeah. he would be a very good fit to do like sort of the family psychodrama aspect. Yeah, of that. I think I think that might be the only one you could have um, Robert Eggers do because Kubrick is so formal in some ways. And I think uh, I, I worry Eggers that Eggers be would be too that. similar. Like I think I mean, Ari Aster thing, would yeah. would like he could do The Shining, but have his own take on it. I worry that Eggers' approach would be too comparable to Kubrick's. Fair. I mean, Rebecca Hall is good for any of the women losing their minds type narrative because that is sort of what she is the queen of at the moment. I'm trying to think who because the one I've wanted to see forever and it's never been done quite right is uh, The Stand. That was my favorite of his books. Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. maybe like a David Lowry would be a good fit for that. Oh, yeah. I, I would maybe or 
I was about to say there's no good one for Denis Villeneuve, but maybe that would be the one because it's kind of an epic. Yeah, I I I don't know. It's hard to say because all the epics that Denny has done have been very hard sci-fi, and The Stand is definitely yeah. not that. No. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Either. I feel like Denis would almost be good if he went back to more like prisoners and enemy kind of territory. I would like to see him do like a smaller one. I'm yeah, not yeah, sure which one would be the too. right fit, but something the like that. The thing is, it's tough. I, I'm not so many have been made first. already, so it's hard to like... Yeah. Yeah, like I probably have not read any Stephen King books that haven't also been movies. Like I read a lot of them before I, I saw the movies, but like my, my yeah, knowledge... I want to say it, the last one that I read is probably Cell. And that's probably almost 20 years ago at this point. I think I read Under the Dome. 15 years? No, I read, I read uh, 112263, which is not... I, I have it and I never read it. That would be, a, you know what? Yeah. That would be a good one for maybe Aronofsky. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. I would I would also watch a, um, a Nia DaCosta version of Pet Cemetery. Sure. I think a Nia DaCosta or maybe a Jordan Peele. Yeah, potentially. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. an us mode. I just think they wouldn't find it. Yeah, the problem is they probably wouldn't find it as interesting. No. Well, and they're, they're both doing their own stuff. I mean, all these people are doing their own stuff. N- not a single yeah, yeah. director here needs to do a King Eye adaptation unless they're well, that's the thing. compelled by it. Much of this is force-feeding a Hollywood project on someone who's like, well, I'm either not making those, or if I am, I can make what I want now. So I'm not going to do that. It's I, very rare that that works out. Let's go Actually, back to Running Man. What about Running Man? Ooh. Oh, you know what? Give Denis Running Man, like, and do it, like, as a more, like, less of a campy and more of, like, a tense, like, thriller version yeah. of it. That could be cool. Aaron, I, that could be an Aronofsky. That could be a Jordan Peele. Yeah. Yeah. Could be a, lot, a lot of these. Oh, yeah. Jordan Peele, I could see that. That might be the best one. Oh, and that actually, I, I just had a thought. If you are going to do Cell, which, to be clear, you shouldn't, but if you did, <laughs> give it to Shyamalan. Have him do another happening. I think that would be kind of. Oh, yeah. It feels like one trying. where you you take a second. And it's like, did he not already do that? Yeah, it's the twist. He's already done it. Ah, yeah. Um, what about the dead zone? So, hmm, I feel like they've tackled that a couple of times already. Maybe that would might be a good one for like a James Wan. Maybe James Wan. I feel like could you also do like a, a gnarly, more violent one? Maybe he could do Cell. If we did that. Yeah. He could do a good it, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. I bet he could do a more economical, less repetitive version of it. Yeah. I think, I think you need, it should probably be one movie. And I know that's that's not usually my opinion. That's no, that's exactly what I was just thinking. Because if you split it into two and the miniseries had the same problem, it just, the individual segments are too repetitive and they overlap yeah. too much. And the second one has a bunch of flashbacks to the first or like the younger cast anyway. So like there is a storytelling way to just make it one movie. Yeah. You can either, either find the economy of the younger version of one character gets a scare. The older version of a different character gets a scare. So they each get one scare instead of each getting two. There's a way to do it. How about but no one's hiring us to do that. How about Ari Aster's, uh, uh, Ari Aster's Cujo. Ooh, yeah, maybe. I wouldn't maybe. say no to that because that's got a that's got a family dynamic too. Yeah. That could work. Um, David Cronenberg's Christine. Sure. Uh, People fuck the car. The, I mean, that's, uh, isn't that just what Crash is? Kind of. Four to ten. Oh yeah, give give her give her Christine. Um, yeah, but I could I could see doing this with some with some other. Uh, 
novelist going forward. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about a film that I have seen that you guys haven't, and we'll double back once you guys have seen it. But uh, I saw Top Gun Maverick shortly after we recorded last week. Um, yeah, last week, right? It's been a long week. Um, and goddamn, is it awesome. Like, I think it might be my favorite movie of the year at this point. Wow. And what one of the things I kept thinking about is if it had been anyone else but Tom Cruise, this would have been a Lego sequel. You know, one of the ones like in the Jurassic World, um, the new Star Wars, that kind of vein, where um, a requel. it would have been about the, yeah, it would have been about the Miles Teller character or it would have been about a young pilot no matter what. And, you know, halfway through the movie, three quarters of the way through the movie, Maverick would have shown up as the instructor or as the replacement or as a mentor. But it's Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise plays second fiddle to no one except maybe Xenu. So that was never going to happen. But by leaning into him, it's it's really good. Like um, I saw some interesting metaphors about how the movie the movie is actually Tom Cruise saving the movie industry. Like that's the subtext of it, as something that refused to go to streaming when they when Netflix and was it Apple didn't they offer them like insane amounts of money to take it last year and like even during the pandemic just holding out for theatrical and it is it's such a good theatrical experience because so much of it is is tactile and and that's a thing we also don't get very much these days like yeah obviously there's some cgi and obviously you know everyone not named tom cruise is doing no flying um but they're in the cockpit and there's there's really no substitute for watching a human being deal with g's you know like it's not suffering in the way that like shelly duvall was made to suffer but when you see their faces, just like that thing that happens when, when gravity fucks with your body, it's kind of awesome. There's just, there's no substituting like, oh, this is what it, it, the thing it does to a human body. It's, it's hard to explain, but it's, it's so cool. And it, and it just, it knows really what it is and hits the beats really well. And I, I was so delighted that Val Kilmer shows up. Their scene together is amazing. It's, it's just, it's delightful. And for a movie, I would say almost no one asked for it's even more surprising. Well, that's the thing. I, I just, I'm, I'm over the moon for it. I didn't uh, love, maybe I liked the original. I, I don't even know if that's yeah. the case. So to hear the praise or any praise is really surprising. And then I'm like, oh, shit. Now not only will I see it, now I kind of want to see it. So um, yeah. I'm excited to see what it is that, you know, uh, a, a Top it's Gun a- movie can be that's, that's got people. I mean, the original exists almost solely as a function of like the soundtrack, mm-hmm. watching planes do what they do, and Tom Cruise's early charisma. That's all it is, and and a nice homoerotic uh, volleyball scene. But you know, high art is not. And this movie finds an interesting way to to be a little more profound. Like it's not trying to be, you know, Shakespeare, but the idea of like when as you get older becoming obsolete like especially for a tom cruise who like of any actor in hollywood is is fighting that fight more than anyone really to not be obsolete and to still be an action star and he's he's is he 60 or he's approaching his 60s he's getting up there yeah and is you know one doesn't look very different you know you can see a little bit of it but also just is acting in the same types of things and putting the same amount of effort in like there's a there's a there's a metaphor there and just watching there's an interesting emotional stake to it because I felt like the original had no stakes until obviously like Goose, but 
the the whole point of the movie being that's weighed on him the whole time is a really interesting plot point because the way easier story is the son right and dealing with the legacy of his father and I want to be better than him, but you know, all that stuff. And that's there, but it's the se- it's the B story. So you don't have to explore that ad nauseum and not find anything new there. Instead, your story, your A story is, what about the person who feels guilty over that, even though they're not to blame? You know, can they... Essentially, he has to train um, Miles Teller and the other Top Gun uh, candidates for this, like, mission. So it's not just training, it's there's there's a there's an enemy thing who's it you know red herring that's uh going to go active like nuclear wise in a couple weeks and we want to just like run a couple planes over and bomb it and be done and we you know can't do a drone for whatever reason and it's this really uh it's it's down a valley and you have to pull nine g's going back up it's a suicide mission essentially but maverick's the best so we want him to train our current best and one of the current best is goose's son and you know can you tell maverick to train his best friend's son to possibly fly to their death it's surprisingly effective because it sounds dumb but it's played straight while not being overly like somber i don't know it just it knows how to be a giant hollywood spectacle movie while still having some heart and being intelligent it's it's got all the things you want out of like the tom cruise chris mccrory movies while still being a top 10 movie i was i was delighted like inexplicably so I am I am eager for you guys to see it uh, next weekend. Right? That's uh, yeah, not this no, upcoming weekend, weekend, but the one after. Er, yeah, I'm looking but, forward yeah, to it. Memorial Day, a true Memorial Day, like old school premiere magazine. Yeah. Summer, uh, summer yeah, blockbuster. I, I, it, I it feels like an old school summer blockbuster as opposed oh, yeah. to totally. just whichever Marvel movie is out. And don't get me wrong. I'm going to yeah. go to whichever Marvel movie is out. But this one feels more like... You know, it it feels old school in that way that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, same here. To the way that, like, I, you know, I don't really invest myself in how a movie does at the box office anymore, but I really do hope this one does well. Because I want this type of movie to still be made. Like, it's it's practical, it's expensive, it's a star vehicle. Like, we're, we're, we're moving away from those and more towards the, the Marvel stuff. And like, like you, I like the Marvel stuff. I even love it often. But, you know... They're not all Marvel movies. There's, you know, the way more inconsistent DC stuff. Then there's those random ones that are nothing. Like, I don't want the person with the with the pockets to decide, you know, we could do a Top Gun Maverick style movie, but that seems like too big a risk. Let's make Bloodshot. Because, <laughs> yeah, then you get Bloodshot. So I like what this says. Um, and the thing I want to wrap up on, since everyone's dying currently in the background is I finally saw everything everywhere all at once. And uh, that's another movie that you, you you think of in terms of like, I want that type of movie to exist because what did that movie make uh, cost to make? That movie was, was like uh, 25 million, million, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like it, it's, it's the type of movie that not every, that doesn't get greenlit that often in terms of the box office being like kind of right in the middle. Um, but it's it, you know I mostly agree with everyone. It's it's pretty great. It's like my second, third, fourth favorite of the year. It's not far off. Um, and what is it made now? About like fifty million, I think. Well, I think it's on track to be a twenty four's highest grossing film. Yeah, I think I think so. What is the highest grossing film? Uh, is it uh, Uncut Gems? I want to say. I think Uncut Gems beat 
Was it it was like Bird Uncut or... Gems, then Lady Bird, then Hereditary. But I think it's about yeah. to top all of them. Okay. Yeah. And I and I was I was talk I I went with someone and we were talking about it afterwards and the thing that I like about it, even if I didn't care about the movie, I love the idea that this movie caught on. You know, in a in a sea of of really solid indie films over the last couple of years that don't really catch on. And I mean, some of it is that you couldn't watch it on streaming. So that in and of itself has vaguely become an event. But I just like that, uh, you know, plenty of movies have come out and gotten good buzz at festivals and solid reviews and had an actor or an actress that you're aware of or you're interested in or had a filmmaker who has sort of a small cult following. It's just I love the fact that this is the one that got that got sort of it's the small scale version of remember when Black Panther came out and people don't usually go to the movies or definitely don't go see Marvel movies. I was like, I got to check out Black Panther. Yeah, because everybody's talking about it. You know, like people's parents were like, we should go watch that Black Panther movie. Like there are a lot of people, you know, anecdotally, when I when people find out what I do, they always want to know what you thought of a movie, you know, a recent movie. And then of late, it's very much been everything everywhere all at once um and i wonder if maybe some of that is also dr strange related like just the idea of like the multiverse is a thing at the moment i love um in the lead up to this movie and it might be the press notes i don't remember where i saw it but um the daniels were talking about they were been working on on a multiverse project for a while and then the um i forget which season of rick and morty came out and they're like oh shit they're doing our movie we can't watch Rick and Morty while we're writing this anymore. We can't watch our favorite show because we're worried that we're going to copy each other. And then Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness gets announced and they're like, oh, shit, Marvel's doing it. Well, what's interesting um, about that, too, is that Doctor Strange is written by Michael Waldron, who also wrote Loki and other multiverse things. Exactly. But he started, well, not started, but his previous biggest thing before joining Marvel is that he was a writer on Rick and Morty. Exactly. Um, which is excellent advertisement for... Um, the first of my two conversations with Michael Waldron becoming the awards radar soon. Um, one of which we just talk about Loki and one of which we just talk about Dr. Strange. So, um, yes, he wrote the, um, uh, if you guys are familiar with Rick and Morty, um, he, you know, they, they write more than one episode, but they get credit for the one. I think they, uh, they sort of Godfather. And also I think it might just be a rotating, like who gets credit. I don't remember, but the one he's is his like written by is the uh, toilet episode, which is a very, very good one. And actually, kind of fits into this, you know, somewhat Doctor Strange, but I think the Twilight episode is kind of very much an everything, everywhere, all at once type story um, with the, you know, what does life mean? And I, uh, yeah, it, it's an inter- it's it's so interesting to watch that movie after everyone has told you how great it is, and that's very rare for me to do these days. So that was a, that was kind of a fun experience, but it's, it's a really, it's a really good movie. I, I might, I might trim a little bit off. I had one, like completely it's not a criticism of the movie so much as it's just criticism based on my like need for like things to measure similarly that the the three parts are not kind of equal in length that part one is much longer than part two and part three is very short um but that's not a quality thing that's just me having like a obsessive compulsive disorder for that kind of stuff but i uh i i quite i quite enjoyed it and my uh I guess my question to you guys as we wrap up is like, which was your favorite multiverse? Uh, which was your favorite uh, universe of the in the movie? Or you can throw in the Doctor Strange ones if you want. <laughs> All of the multiverses. Which one's your favorite? <sighs> hmm, hmm, oh, there's hmm. so many. 
Um, I, I will say it's probably the rock one for me. I mean, the rocks, like that's one of the best scenes in the movie, like, which is yeah. Yeah. that, that is, you know, you're in the hands of master filmmakers where static shots of rocks, like sitting <laughs> and like no movement, no anything and just subtitles. And like, like that's one of the scenes that make me cry. Like that's, you right. know, that's stunning work. And I, and I, and I, and I, and I really appreciated that that exists in a movie that, it is the Daniel, so like they can't resist there being a, a trophy that looks like a butt plug and a and a fight involving dildos and um what the hell is her name? Her name is Deirdre Budirdre or something like that. Uh, like, Deirdre Bobiedra, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like they just they can't resist also being children. Yeah. It's and, very juvenile, but in a way that works and like surprisingly serves the story. Yeah, in a way that I you know, if I when I if I told someone the plot of this movie and hit those beats specifically I think most people would assume, like, are you ruining a good movie by throwing this shit in there? And it, and it surprisingly is not. Though I would argue that, did either of you see the death of Dick, jo- uh, Dick Long or Dick, Dick Long, right? That was the I one that um, Shinar made. I did not. That no. one is, is fair. And I think that's, that's ma- I don't know if it's a them not working together thing or just maybe that was not an A story of theirs. But that's a movie about, like, guys whose buddy dies and... They cover up why he's, he died, and it basically turns out they were into, like, horse fucking. So he got fucked to death by a horse. And mm. that's that is an example of, like, I don't think your movie is served well by that, like, juvenile twist. You know, because you, you, you kind of felt like you, you built off of that. So it started from that as opposed to, you know, they I think they said they started kind of with, like, the bagel is how they started with this idea. And everything built out, and when you have the chance to, especially with this project, do everything or anything, you know, why not have the most random thing you can think of also be a dildo? Because wouldn't it be? You know, or like even just like the, was it the sex dungeon that they, that they come out of at one point? Like, yeah. it's just, those little moments are very, are very cool. Um, you know, it's not, I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I think it's, it's a very good movie, and I am I'm thrilled at something this weird has uh, has caught on with people, even if I'm um, perhaps a little conservative and skeptical in its awards prospects later in the year. But um, Steve, what's uh, did you have a multiverse that you like? Uh, I, th- I feel like Miles is going with the Rock one also. No, I, I was actually going to say I'm uh, uh, probably a tie between uh, the Wong Kar Wai universe. Mm. That there's a scene that's just straight up like in the mood for love, basically. I um, felt so happy that when I looked that up, that other people said that, even though it may, I thought I was smart watching it going. I think he's, they're doing Wong Kar Wai here. Like, and then I, I I looked up something and I was like, oh, no, they just everyone clearly references that's the Wong Kar Wai section. Well, and Kihi Kwan even worked as an assistant director for Wong Kar Wai, so he probably had some insight there. Um, oh, just something about like the costumes, the look, like everything. Oh, just yeah, well, they even like that, or... that shuttery sort of camera thing that he does. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's very well done. But it's but again, it wasn't like just a reference. It served the story. And um, I, I do love the, the Rakakuni segment i think that's delightful that that was actually gonna lose me for a minute because when it was in its sort of darkest moments and 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 rakakuni got uh got taken away by animal control i was like if they don't solve that i'm gonna be very upset and i was glad that that the raccoon got a happy ending as well because that was that bummed me out more than a basically puppet raccoon doll being taken away in a cage should 
Also, just really quick, because I realize I haven't brought it up at any other point, but I was just thinking about it. This movie, so I've talked a lot about how, you know, I've seen like so many masterpieces back to back this year. This movie, like, has some interesting overlap with like some of the other ones that I've raved about. Yeah, yeah. For example, um, if you compare this to the Batman, Ave Maria appears prominently in both films. If mm-hmm. you compare this to RRR, there are very prominent scenes involving characters giving other characters piggyback rides. So, you know, <laughs> it's kind of got a little I mean, bit yeah, of everything. You yeah, you find it where you can. Steve, did you have one? Uh, the, the same one. The uh, In the Mood yeah. for Love type segment. Yeah. That's cool. And then yeah, uh, the yeah, I the I, I thought you I know was, I, I thought there was like you know I, I, maybe I'm wrong that's like a little bit of film noirish right or am there's I a little, there's, there's some of that I mean it's it's also just I think his the the aesthetic that um that Wong Kar Wai does is very dark and well that's what I mean like that, the colors I mean, are very the aesthetic not the you know yeah yeah it's right, not, yeah right, narratively yeah. He aesthetically do that, yeah like, definitely yeah. I think if you if you didn't if you took the subtitles off, yeah, I, I could believe that watching um, was it 2046, 2049? Well, I'm spacing on the last uh, 2046, digit. I think. Yeah, yeah, but I think if you if you took the, the yeah, subtitles yeah. off, the visuals out of could, context definitely have that noirish feel for sure. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could buy that. Um, I'll save the awards talk for a little later because there's no way to know. Anyone who says they know is is lying. Same way with Top Gun. There are people who tweeted it's going to get a Best Picture nomination, like. One, it's probably not. But two, that metric is so very based on 8,000 things still to come, including the Cannes Festival, which is literally just beginning as we're recording. So you can't possibly know. But I, I will say that if Everything Everywhere at Once does get a Best Picture nomination, it will be an interesting evolution of the Academy. Because by every metric, it's it's too weird. It's too many genres they don't usually go for. But slowly but surely, they're opening their minds, so maybe they're open enough for this. I, I do think it has a better chance, depending on how actress turns out, depending on how the supporting races turns out, maybe even editing, but like, you know, an original screenplay type nomination, like, those things are in play. Um, I just think the people who love it, it's great to love it, and it's great to be passionate for it. Keep in mind that there's no way to know. It's, it's not the slam dunk that, you know, if we were talking about you know, if, if the Fablemans had come out this week and had been great, you're like, yeah, yeah, you could probably mark that down because it's just everything about what the Academy goes for has been confirmed. So when it's not, you do have to wait and see how things, you know, but evolve. You know what, though? If yeah. you look at the last, what, what are the last three or four winners? Um, Nomadland. Coda. Coda. Um, Parasite. And what was before yeah. Parasite? Uh, Shape of Water. Or no Green, Green Book, Book and then Shape of Water. <laughs> All right, so yeah. three. But Shape last... of Water is a weird one to win Best Picture when you look at a lot and, of and them. Moonlight. So like, if you if you take out Coda, except for the Apple thing, it's ne- it's a small you know pleasing crowd pleaser. And uh, and Green Book, they are they are getting weirder, but they're usually couched in a genre that they go for. But it's not just weird. It's just effect. also this emotional kind of this reaction, this connection yeah. to it that it wasn't. Which I don't think was as strong before. We used to be like, okay, no. put the last emperor up there, and it's big and bold and it's epic, and that used to be what won. I think, especially after Coda, 
I think these films that connect with people and this film connects people. Like you said, you were crying at rocks. I was crying at rocks. You know, yeah. uh, ha- uh, hot dog fingers, you know, <laughs> it meant a lot. It, yeah. it still gets me, you know, a little uh, choked up. It's like, man, what they, the story they tell and, and the human emotions that they connect to with this storytelling, I think is going to last longer through the awards season because you know what it came out in february march march came out in march, march yeah. yeah i think that will it will people will that will that will stir back up where like a, a good story i don't think will or you know some of the things that usually you fade as you as you go further if you have an early will, release i think this film has be a better to, chance yeah it'll be up to It'll be on the onus will be on the voters, the Academy to mm-hmm. actually watch it. And maybe that's where I don't have full confidence well, yet. I think there are people who will watch, but I think the people who are still very much in the favor of the, the old school, I, I'm skeptical. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a, a sell. And, and the thing is, this movie is still in conversation with a lot of people right now, but less so than it was a couple weeks ago. And in the next couple weeks it'll be even less so because can and then you know the summer movie season and then the fall festival season like it will it will need its second life because it's also it's coming out on on home video i think as you're listening to this you can watch it on demand now and it'll be out next month on on blu-ray and such so like it'll kind of have had its wave already so to come back it'll need a a natural boost and like that's where you get into the critics groups you know they we we talk about how they don't truly mean that much for the award season but if if you know various critics circles and such in phase one rally around a film like this it keeps them in conversation Mm -hmm. and the impossible becomes potential and then potential becomes possible and possible can become probable like we've seen it happen yeah but no it definitely it strikes me as a film that will sort of live and die on like a whether the critics groups sort of keep it afloat um which because they're the ones that are going to be the quickest to rally around it if they do and then also a lot does depend on the competition specifically like you know how many of the presumed front runners end up you know either a coming out or b like living up to the hype because if enough of those fall through the cracks that leaves an opening for something weird and not traditional like this to sort of sneak in if there's enough groundswell behind it but also just just as easily you know the, yeah, no, those... I mean, there's there's a million different ways it could go. I well, mean, there's also yeah. how many how many other things does A24 end up having to balance? And, you know, what's their calculus? And where do they spend the money? There's there's so many things. Yeah. You know, there, there's very few things you can bank on. I feel like if you wanted to bank on one thing happening, it's probably that the uh, L.A. Film Critics Circle will, will give uh, Michelle Yeoh the, uh, the Best Actress Prize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seems very likely. Unless there's a really weird indie international film from... I'm going to go with uh, Switzerland. You know, like, whatever. It's always a a real off-the-beaten-path choice, if not. Um, But, you know, there are various places where it will do well. I think if it's eligible for Gotham, it'll do very well. If it hits the budgetary uh, numbers for Indie Spirit, it'll do well. Um, Everything else just depends. You know, it'll it'll, it'll be interesting to see. But I... uh, you know, if you if you're banking on it getting in right now, I don't want to disappoint you. But um, you know, I'm not going to update my predictions for a little bit just because the can stuff is going to hit soon. But you know, I'm going to move it up. I don't know that I'm moving it into the ten yet, just because I I, I want to see 
I want to see it be more than just a really good movie because there's more than 10 really good movies every year. So, yeah, you know. I, I think I think it, I at the very least, it's going to be in the conversation. You know, will it show up for on sure. the nominations? I don't know, but it's not going to be forgotten at, at uh, in award season. It's going to be there and we'll, it'll be one. It'll, either it'll be the, the pleasant surprise or it'll be the snub. And everyone's going to say, how dare they not? You know, but that happens all the time. My fingers are crossed. Totally. I think I think films like this need to be represented. Does it need to win? You know, depends on what the competition is, but we need to see more. We need to push, strive. And this is like the, I wouldn't say the anti-Marvel, and I love Marvel films, but what people are going to the theater to see something that they're only, it's pretty much word of mouth, word of mouth that's dr- driving them there. Um, you know, there, there are big names in it, but not big marquee names, not in for your, your average uh film goer so it's great to see people mm. go back to a theater because their neighbor their friend their you know brother said go see this film um and i have told numerous people to to go see it and i have had several come back and several thanked me so yeah i i mean yeah i think i think the majority of people will love it i think it just comes down to how they how how a voter if they watch it deals with it mm-hmm. you know because there is also a chance that it's just too chaotic for some people and that's a shame but also that can that can happen so we will see um i want to wrap by asking everyone now that we've all seen it where does it rank in your in your top films of the year miles is one i, I can't figure out because everything he sees now is his favorite film of all time yeah. well, on the year so he's on a roll we'll see yeah so say where you can be followed and uh, I guess your prescription medication of choice and then let us know where the, what, what ranks up, uh, where everything everywhere ranks for you. Uh, so you can follow me on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M-Y-L-E-S on Film. Please check out my short films American Exorcist and Once Upon a Dracula. They are both on YouTube under Aftershock Pictures and Chase Capo respectively. Please check out my writing at Awards Radar and Looper. Uh, right now I'm on some Zyrtec, but I'm probably going to take some NyQuil before I go to bed. Uh, and uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once is my favorite film of the year. It's I, I recently, you know, I've seen it three times now, and I recently made quite the bold uh, change, uh, which was, uh, on Letterboxd at least, I put it in my uh, top three films of all time, right behind Synecdoche, New York. So wow. there you go. There we go. Nice. All right, Steve. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at FilmSnork, although my Letterbox I've kind of ignored, so you may want to wait a few months or, or days at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also listen to The Verse, where we talk all multiverses and uh, all that other fun stuff. Look for it on wherever you find your favorite podcast, like Awards Radar, the podcast. Um, and where does it rank for the year? Yeah, I'd probably say number one. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that tops it. I really enjoyed the Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is like you know, it's, it's still we're only getting into May. Um, yeah, there's not there hasn't been not anything else that, that stands out. What what about you? What else stands out? I'm trying to think what else. I didn't see RRR. And that's I, my that's my number two. So I've got everything everywhere, then RRR, then the Batman, and so forth. Um. Uh, unbearable weight of massive talent, the Northman, which Miles um, 
when is isn't RRR coming back? You want to make your pitch about that real quick? Uh, well, I would love to, but I'm not going to get a chance to see it when it comes back because I'm going to have rehearsal for the play that I'm currently in. But wow, yes, it wow. uh, RRR is coming uh, back to theaters for one night only, uh, June 1st. If you are in a city that is playing RRR, I cannot recommend enough that you see it on the big screen. It is everything everywhere all at once might be the most like emotionally profound and impactful film of the year so far but rrr is probably the most entertaining and in terms of bang for your buck man like every minute of the three hours is well spent all right um for me uh you can find me at joey magazine um facebook twitter instagram letterboxd all that stuff you can find awards radar on several of those uh, platforms um, everything everywhere all at once is my number two movie right now sandwiched between uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent and uh, top gun maverick hmm. um uh steve other things uh fresh the batman x um the northman for people who really like it the other movie couple movies in my top 10 um apollo 10 and a half yeah um pleasure which finally came out uh this past weekend after over a year and uh, one still-to-be-released film, which is coming out shortly, uh, Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Very nice. So there we go. Yeah. All right. So everyone can recover. Wait, Steve, what was your medication of choice right now? Uh, vodka. Ah, there you go. Uh, very nice. I uh, currently on uh, nothing. So that's probably part of my problem. Uh, but you will find us again next week talking more about various uh topics i don't know that there's anything completely new coming um, oh men will be up by the time you listen to this my review of men so i guess uh next week we'll talk a little bit about men um and uh probably the start of can so be on the lookout for that and then there'll be more to come and then more to come and into infinity so hopefully everyone feels better and uh we will uh, see the rest of you when we're healthier, at the movies. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content.